Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, it is the Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. It is the holidays. Yes, we are not here live. We put a lot of uh, programming on tape for you to check out while we are away. Hopefully, if you're traveling uh, or if you're visiting family, you've got something to listen to here because we put a lot of stuff on tape uh, so that you can enjoy while we are on our holiday break. And I was really excited to do this again because we did the same exact roundtable a year ago. Take a look at the year in sports with our favorite sports reporters, uh, Tyler Ricky Tynes. Tyler, how you doing? I'd be great if you weren't so loud. <laughs> I'm a little loud. I'm a little loud. I'm a little loud. It's, early, it's early as hell. <laughs> Admittedly. Uh, Lindsay Gibbs from Thank Progress. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm doing great. I think you sound just fine. I am allowed myself. Thank so you very I'm thank you very this. much. I appreciate that. And Travis Waldron from HuffPost. Hey, Travis, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. Good to see all of you. Uh, I'll try and tone it down a little bit. No, man. No. Sports <laughs> Talk Radio. <laughs> I'm kidding, Fire of course. Fire up the hot takes. Right. So I, I, I want to start out with exactly where we started out one year ago. Because we did the same exact roundtable last year at this time, and we were talking about Colin Kaepernick, who did not have a job then and does not have a job now in the NFL. Um, Let's just kick this around a little bit, because it was especially glaring to me that he is still out of the NFL when you have NFL teams that are going out and recruiting Mark Sanchez to come and lead their team. And there are multiple other very, very mediocre quarterbacks who are in the NFL while Colin Kaepernick continues to not have an opportunity to play in the NFL. Will he ever play in the NFL again? Let's just go around the table. No, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think it should be. I don't think there's any reason why you why we we should think that he would be right. Like, yeah. there's no reason to assume that Colin Kaepernick will ever play in the NFL again. Mostly for the fact that what he did wasn't really about just the NFL, but about how we kind of view whiteness at large, right? If the people who are willing to pay him and keep him employed and also buy the merchandise and watch him, you know, more or less, are also the people who don't watch football who know his name that are still kind of mad at him. Um, nobody in that equation is going to let him actually do the thing he's really good at, and so it would be preposterous to think that a team would even give him a workout at this point he's toxic in a way that's the other thing i mean he hasn't even gotten a workout with anybody and there are teams that need a colin kaepernick type quarterback and he like half the league half the league needs yeah yeah half the league sure absolutely will he ever play again no absolutely not i think it's been clear for a while if i know anything about 
rich, white, powerful men. It's that they are stubborn as hell. Yeah. And I think that this point, they're embar- they're afraid to bring him in for workout because what if he's really good? Like that would be, you know, which he's probably going to be better. And then they wouldn't have any more excuses. Yeah. They okay. want to keep him away. And I think it was somewhat promising. There was a glimmer of hope when Eric Reed, who knelt alongside of him uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, when the Carolina Panthers signed him this year, the NFL has continued to badger him. He's just, he's played 11 games and just last night after the Monday night football game got his seventh random drug test of the season. So I think it's clear this is not a hospitable environment. The, the Eric Reed story is something I want to dig into yeah. uh, for, for sure. Uh, but first, it, it, he's not going to play, right? No, he wasn't ever going to play again the minute he yeah. left San Francisco. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, it, it wasn't going to happen. I'm not sure anybody actually expected it to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's valuable that people point out every week that sure. Mark Sanchez is in the NFL. And, I mean, it go down the list, Nathan Peterman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think it was obvious from the get-go that Colin Kaepernick wasn't going to be back in this league yeah. and as much as he wanted to. And I think there were a couple chances where he might have gotten close, uh, but no. I, the, I, the only the, – the Colin Kaepernick question right now from a – a more newsy standpoint is does he win the, yeah. the collusion suit? Well, and okay. how many times does my guy Tom Savage keep getting these starts in the NFL, baby? <laughs> what you mean? Tommy Tom Savage <laughs> is ready to play. I mean, come on. You mentioned the collusion case. I was actually talking uh, to someone who's a big fan of the Washington football team. Uh, and, and I was talking about how silly it is that they're bringing back Mark Sanchez without even taking a look. At Colin Kaepernick, which I agree, he's never going to play in the NFL. They're not going to let it happen. And his, not defense, but his explanation of it was, as long as there is this collusion case going on between Colin Kaepernick and the NFL, no, no team in the NFL really is going to be able to make that move. Possible, but Eric Reed sued him, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the difference there being that one, one was the first, mm-hmm. and also one was a quarterback. Yeah. The other side, too, you know, digging into the quarterback side of this is that free safeties don't cost that much money, right? Yeah. right? And and when Eric Reed went off the market, a lot of free safeties and a lot of safeties in general, Mike Mitchell uh, 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 and a few others, uh, Trey Boston, said that they had to now receive Kenny Vaccaro less money, millions, five to ten million dollars mm-hmm. less on the market per year because a safety was being blackballed at the same time. So much so that the Bengals said, you know, they would question his forms of patriotism before they signed him and they eventually didn't. Um, that Charlotte did it doesn't make them special. Right. It makes them capable of doing the bare minimum when it comes to someone being employed that's worth their the most value. obvious thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. right, like you yeah. injured, no you you put two safeties on the IR. I don't know, man. Maybe hire the dude who was a Pro Bowler once yeah. and is also twenty six. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't seem like bad business by any measure. I I, I want to get into what you mentioned about Eric Reed and the the six different drug tests yeah. that he's seven. got. Just got his seventh. Or, no, just seven. got his seventh. Just yeah. got his seventh. Yeah. Uh, uh, Seventh, uh, ha- that seems uh, that's not normally how it works, right? I just want to make for anybody who's uh, who's it, 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 it's a combination of things. Okay, there, there's there's two major factors with Eric Reed's thing. One, he's he's being public about it. Yeah. He's, he's letting it be known how many times he's being randomly drug tested and is trying to poke a hole in uh, a possible hypocrisy about how many times he specifically may be drug tested. The difference, though, is under the rules and regulations, players can be drug tested as much as the NFL wants. They've signed that paperwork, so it is not sure. foreign. However, it is all arbitrary, yeah. and so. The but look, Tom Brady's is, not getting drug tested seven out of we 11 We also games. don't, to be, to be to the most fair to white people, we don't actually know. 
And so is it kind of crazy that Eric Reed, who is the banner boy for this protest movement before it fizzles all the way out, is getting drug tested seven times out of maybe nine games? Absolutely. We also don't know what the average looks like because no one else is public with that information. I think this would be a good time for a white football player to come out and say, hey, I've been drug tested exactly zero times. Well, you know, Peter, it's been a good time for white people to do something (laughs) for a very long time. And so I I don't really hold my breath on what y'all are going No, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, But I have a drug testing point. Yeah. Uh, This is one of my hobby horses. Yeah, let's do it. Drug testing, the Eric Reed thing is perfect reminder evidence. The drug testing is first and foremost for owners in sports a form of labor control, not a method of catching or preventing drug use. It is a tool to wield against the athletes to suppress costs, get rid of problem players, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think it's absolutely yeah. a, a valid We point. saw this in baseball for a long time, pre the steroid era, where right. Marvin Miller, the head of the union, said that the one thing they should there there were two things that the baseball union never should give up on. A salary cap and drug testing for recreational or performance enhancers because drug testing is a labor hammer. And you're seeing that with Eric Reed right now. And we've all seen that. You're seeing that with Eric Reed right now. They are trying to catch him doing something so they can get rid of him. Right. And just like like baseball, we've done the same exact thing in metric with the Olympics. Um, Major tactics to be used of a bunch of players and and runners, especially track athletes uh, and gymnasts who they kind of want out the sport. Like, oh, you might be a little bit too old for this. Or I don't know if you came back clean this time. Or Justin Gatlin, we got to test you every time you run because you got that history. So Travis is absolutely right. It's, it's, It's a form of control, which we know sports. Yeah. It's his foundation of how it operates. Well, mm. and the thing about Eric Reed is he's he has made the absolute most of this opportunity back in the NFL. Every time a camera in his face, he is talking about the issues. He is talking about race, racism and systemic oppression. And, I mean, his introductory press conference, he gave a 400-year history lesson. Yeah. I mean, his his cleats for the were the Colin Kaepernick cleats for the My Cleats, My, Cla- My Cause, or whatever that NFL program is. You know, it had the 10 points of Colin Kaepernick's um, know Your Rights campaign on his cleats. He is out there every time. He's the NFL's worst nightmare in yeah. that way. Um, well, I, I really look forward to uh, next year's roundtable when we wonder about whether Colin Kaepernick will play in the NFL because <laughs> uh, it's not going to happen uh, between now and then. But I want to stay with the NFL for a second because it's, it's been a not great year for the NFL. Uh, they had another situation uh, with domestic violence, Kareem Hunt being the most recent uh, example of it, where the NFL just does not get it. And no, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. They get it. Oh, okay. Explain. The domestic violence policy is a public relations ploy. It has been from the very beginning. Yeah. It The result of the Ray Rice thing was we have to do something to make the public relations better and look like we're punishing people. It's not, to the extent it's not working, it was because it wasn't designed to. Roger Goodell, when he released the, the, the domestic violence policy, the standards were six games first offense, one year or indefinite suspension for the second that was probably going to be set at one year, and then we'll come back to it. Do you know how many cases it took before he issued a six-game suspension? Mm. It was like seven or eight, because the parameters were already outlined in the personal conduct policy. There was no specific suspension for domestic violence. Roger Goodell already had the power because the union gave it to him under the personal conduct policy, which, again, if we're talking about bad labor practices, don't hand stuff like that to commissioners or management. Um, it was a, it was a salve. It was nonsense from the get-go. 
anybody who could have you could have seen this coming from the jump that they didn't involve the union in the in the construction of the policy they didn't really change anything they didn't set specifics ray rice didn't get suspended for six games greg hardy didn't get suspended for six games josh brown didn't get suspended for six games on down the line i don't like this was obvious it was obvious the nfl these this is and and i think there's a broader argument about whether we should expect the nfl to be our moral arbiters here because they're operating from a we're asking them to be what they aren't. They're a business. Yeah, they're gonna do it for PR reasons. I think that's the, it. Yeah, no, I think those are and all, yeah, like and then for the brand that the NFL plays, we're also asking them at a moment where we're trying to ask almost every entity to maybe consider being better, which they probably won't, to make some sort of changes that gets along the line that it appeases a lot of the crowd that would like them to be better in a reactive sense. So if Kareem, if the Kareem Hunt, you know, tape comes out. The immediate thing is like, well, what has the NFL done? And like, you know, if Kareem Hunt's off the team, a lot of people are like, well, the right thing happened. But the bigger thing is that the Chiefs have known about this since February. Yeah, a long time. Right? He's admitted to this since February. He's admitted to multiple offenses since February. He's talked about it on record in August in training camp. At no time did the NFL say, maybe we should go figure out this tape. At no time did the NFL actually talk to Cleveland police to figure out this tape. At no time did the NFL say, we need to do more than what we're doing right now to sustain the business that is making us billions. They don't care. They never have cared, and there's no metric that they're going to be willing to care. And you've done a lot of good work on this, and the, like, there's no indication that they've moved. No, I mean, time after time, what gets me is you hear these teams signing these players who are coming off of allegations of domestic violence, and they never reach out to the police who reported on it. They never reach out to the woman. They never try and reach out to the woman. And they just, they say, well, the player told me that she was lying, or the player told me his version of the story, and that's it. And, I mean, we saw this back with Jameis Winston, you know, when they never once reached out to to his um, accuser back in uh, at Florida State, even though they the Tampa Bay Buccaneers claimed time and time again that they did the most thorough vetting process possible and they never even and I totally understand if if the uh, women don't want to talk and don't want to cooperate but it's the not even reaching out that to me just shows the true the true colors here well that's what I think like one of my questions and and I'm curious what you think about this is that it's if you're not going to do it don't pretend. No, yeah. Like the the P, if if you just want to sign these guys because it's clear, right? Ray Rice didn't come back to the league because Ray Rice was a washed up running back yep. who wasn't worth it. Greg Hardy came back to the league because he was one of the best potentially best defensive ends still in yep. the game. Kareem Hunt is he going to play? He's going to find yeah. a team. Oh, yeah, he'll play against I mean, look, like, Adrian Peterson, right? Yeah. Which is a different and, sort of abuse. You know, but... Kareem Hunt's not going probably not going to find a team this year. He ain't. But he'll be back next season. No, he'll by be by training camp. And yeah. I guess so there are questions here of do we want the NFL, do we want a corporate entity like the NFL to hold the power or the expectation to do this, their sort of own quasi investigative policing work? Because that is a separate can of worms. But also, if they're just going to pretend, aren't we better off not pretending that they're pretending is serious? I mean, I, I mean, I know it's hard. It's not. No. A, yeah. I mean, I think. The problem is, and it goes with so many of these things, it's like your backup is the justice system, which also does a horrible right, job right. with all of this yeah. stuff, right? And and so you don't know, like, where do you draw the line when the entire system is, is set up to mm-hmm. fail in these instances? And 
I so I don't, I don't know all the answers. I go back and forth on whether I right. do or don't want the NFL to get involved. One of the more frustrating things I've reported on in the aftermath of all this was so this summer, two women who had been involved with the the Players Associ- Association Domestic Violence Coalition, they which was created right after Ray Rice. So they publicly stepped down and said we we don't want to be we can't be involved with this anymore wow. because they're not doing anything. Wow. So I reached out to them in the aftermath of Reuben Foster and uh, Kareem Hunt, and they so they said that they worked with the Players Association. They got permission from the players and partners to reach out to the partners of all these players across the league to do this big report. And they said they came up with concrete. They couldn't because of you know their NDAs. They couldn't tell me what these concrete steps. Right. But they said sure. they did come up with some concrete things that the Players Association and the league could do that would help make partners safer and help change the culture. And? And that, that paper just said and that, and that's, that did absolutely nothing. nothing. That's the it. thing where I think Jessica Luther, yeah. Yeah. who you host a podcast with, mm-hmm. and I, she wrote something, I think back, in, as far back as the Ray Rice thing or when the new domestic violence policy yeah. came out, that there are so many things that they could do that aren't, punitive right right? that aren't suspension oriented and we get caught up on the suspension oriented thing and i think in in that sense we're playing the game the nfl wants to play which is we look good yeah but did we fix anything is anything fixed by this guy just not having a job right you know like and obviously playing football making millions of dollars for it is a privilege and you don't really have a defined right to do it but it's a you know it and this is i guess my point because i'm not trying to come across as defending the NFL or just saying you're a business you don't have any responsibility here it's more that if you're going to do it do the concrete things right do the prevention steps do the intervention steps because what happens when it's all based on these guys losing their jobs right and losing their Mm -hmm. livelihoods and being publicly shamed you have people women who don't want to cooperate I mean it was I believe Reuben Foster, right? Isn't that who the Washington, Washington just signed? Washington, yeah. Yep. yeah. And so he, his girlfriend accused him of domestic violence back in February. And then she went through the case and ended up redacting all of this under, under, um, you know, in court. Ended up saying she was making it all up, went into great detail. Now the prosecutors, which often don't want to d- go domestic violence don't want to prosecute domestic violence stuff because there's not enough evidence. They said there was still enough evidence in this case to go uh-huh. forward. She, though, you know, of course, because she was going on the record, then, of course, it's this same woman who then, you know, calls the cops in when they're staying in Tampa. And that's why he ends up getting released from the 49ers. And it's just, it, you know, she says she's been on Good Morning America, I believe, and said, like, I redacted it because I, I loved him and I didn't want him to lose his job. I uh-huh. didn't want him to be punished. Uh, so this behavior is not exclusive to the NFL, obviously. Uh, we look at the college uh, situation. I, Urban Meyer essentially lost his job because he did not handle a, a domestic abuse situation very well among his coaching staff. Um, so it's it, it's rampant across all different levels of all different sports. And Lindsay, I wanted to ask you specifically about a, a, a big story uh, this year from Michigan State. Yeah, Larry Nasser, who we all know is now infamous for uh, what he did, but also what Michigan State did not do Mm -hmm. and how they handled that. So where do we go from there? 
Well, I'm really glad you asked about this because this to me is the big, uh, biggest story in sports, in culture right yeah. now. I yeah. mean, the systemic abuse from the U.S. Olympic Committee, from USA Gymnastics, and then from Michigan State. And the way these entire systems just kind of conspired to be willfully blind to this abuse is is staggering. Um, it, you know, in Michigan State... I, and I just want to say, b- before we get into yeah. this, it, it, it's it's important to point out, this is happening... All Across Olympic sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just USA Gymnastics. It's, gymnastics, it's the worst, yeah. but swimming, taekwondo, yeah. down the yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, and I, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think that there's, um, hopefully, you know, people abusing hundreds of people at every single college. Right. But I do think that there, these same things that are happening in Michigan State could happen right. anywhere. Right? Well, and, the, and the, to point, sorry, to, no, I didn't right. mean to interrupt, but one of the things here where you talk about, like, uh, definitive responsibility the difference between the NFL and a place like Michigan State or the USOC are, and especially in Michigan State's case, you are a public entity. Yeah. You are taxpayer supported. The USOC is not taxpayer supported because of the way the law is written, but it is quasi public. Like you have accountability to your students and your well, the taxpayers to a and- certain extent. I mean, let's look at the way Michigan State is set up, okay? So it's one of the very few, I believe only three in the entire country, that the board of trustees are, lo- are elected in statewide elections oh, wow. for eight years. So wow. it's Michigan State, the University of Michigan, and Wayne State, the three in Michigan. So that has left to the entire board of trustees was intact all year long mm-hmm. they supported Luanna Simon who was the president who oversaw this she didn't step down until after the 200 uh, women gave their victim impact statements publicly in January then she finally there was enough public pressure for her to step down who do they then appoint who does this board then appoint John Engler the corrupt former Republican governor of Michigan and he's been there all year he's been publicly battling with survivors he's been even though he's just interim he's been appointing people throughout the university to three to five year long contracts and the board the board is still supporting him six to two Mm -hmm. now just recently at this most recent election local elections matter everyone there are now two women two younger women who were voted into the board of trustees who are now hopefully going to be able to shift the balance of power a little bit and hopefully bring a little bit of accountability and help bring the survivors into this but michigan state State is in as much term- turmoil as it's ever been, and the public's not caring. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. The other side of this too is that a lot of colleges, like <clears throat> a lot of colleges, are set up this way, right? If it's not board of trustees or you know board of elections, it's the regents, and usually yeah. is with front-facing statewide schools. There are regents who are either publicly elected or former politicians or are elected through the tribunal of people who are donors, funders, or even fans and friends of the universities. University of Nebraska was set up that exact way. So when they had an incident in 2016 over protests, it was the regents who were on mm-hmm. emails who were talking to the new president saying, "You're not from here." You don't know how Nebraska does it. And we've been here for three to eight years after being the mayors of Omaha and Lincoln and smaller towns. And so the same thing that she's talking about is the same, you know, the same tribunal that is set up at almost every public front facing state school in the country, unless you go private, like Penn State, uh, Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line is that there are these same older white people that are keeping a specific order so that they can believe that their school institution or their tribal formation of any of these different sports surrounding it can stay intact. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the problem with the USOC. Exactly. Uh, which is the USOC structure is specifically designed to avoid accountability. Right, yeah. It is 
Well, the, the NGBs, the national governing bodies, can say that it's the coaches right. or the specific athletes. The USOC can say, well, no, that's down to the national governing bodies. It's always, and this is true, as true for drug use yeah. as it is for you know Larry Nasser, who was enabled by USA Gymnastics, but we now know, and you know, again, it was. It, I, I think it would have taken a wild stretch of the imagination to think anything otherwise. That the USOC knew. Oh yeah. And, and but but because the system is always designed for people to have clean hands, or to to be able to say, well, I didn't know that yeah. was, you know, that was the Carolis' fault that Larry Nasser was so involved yeah. in USA gymnastics, and then the USOC and Scott Blackman can say, well, that was. That was USA Gymnastics' fault. The whole board is gone now. And meanwhile, you go through the lawsuits where USA Gymnastics says, we did everything we could. Yeah. And the and USOC says, well, we did everything we could. And it's like, well, clearly no one did everything no, they could. No, no, yeah, somebody <laughs> like, had to step and, and the thing is, is the, the worst part, I mean, the worst part here is obviously the people being abused. The people yeah. being abused. But we did this so we could win. It, yeah. That's what this I was, was about to like, say, yeah. the, the, This was not like... This was the most successful period in the history of USA Gymnastics. Like we we system we systematically subjected young girls to sexual abuse from a doctor in order to win gold medals. And it was the same at Michigan State. I mean, these trustees have been on the record. Joel Ferguson, who is if there is a scum for the worst enabler of the year, like he's he's the one of the most outspoken board of trustees members. And he has said, well, this Nasser stuff doesn't matter. He said this in January after the 200 women have given oh them victim God. impact statements. He referred to it as just this Nasser stuff. And he said, Luanna Simon has been the best fundraiser in the history of our university. So <laughs> she should stay. And if you look into these, like oh the reason these two new bo- board of trustees members are so significant is because they don't have any ties to athletics, mm-hmm. even though the board of trustees for the entire university, not just athletics. Pretty much every single person, and I'm sure this is true at most universities, have strong ties to the athletics department, you know, or former football coaches, former football players. The their dad is dad's name is on the basketball gym, right? So it's all it goes back to this. It's all about consolidating power through sports. The US Olympic Committee, how does it give out money? Uh, you're not guaranteed money from the U.S. Olympic Committee if you're not if you're non governing if you're national governing body. It's based on how many medals they think you're going to win mm-hmm. and how marketable they think your athletes are. So they're willing to overlook a lot yeah. if you're getting the if gold medal. Yeah, that, but that's and that's that's the macro sense of this, right? Is like that's what we'll do to win. <clears throat> whereas there are so many issues in the in between. Right. right. Especially if you're looking only in colleges, look at somewhere like Maryland this year with Jordan McNair. Uh, in in a, in a case that since 2000 there have been over 45 kids who have been killed in football fields. Specifically right. when it comes to heat-related trainings. Uh, trainings that don't matter, that you don't yeah. need to do. They're basically conditioning training. And then we they... know how to prevent those deaths. Exactly. Right, yeah. we, we extremely know how to prevent <laughs> yeah. those deaths. You can ask any athletic trainer and they'll say, we know how to, yeah, we know yeah. how the to only, stop this. The only time we didn't was in the in, in, at the end of the aughts when it was a sickle cell issue. Mm-hmm. When there were black men who were being worked to death and no one was like, well, we can't figure out why. Devon Darling at Florida State and, and, and Ted Ogbu and, and places like that. Because they had an actual sickle cell trait that made the NCAA put another waiver into college football. The consolidation of power is there, absolutely, but the in-between is that there are so many different programs, middling, horrible, who want to get better for more money, for more power, et cetera, who are willing to work, black kids, especially black men in college football, to death 
Well, and this Literally. is just, just yeah. to this win. Is, this is the gro- but this and yeah. this is the grossest part of this is why this will forever be grosser to me at this level than at the like the NFL level even is like these are public universities. Yeah. Right. This is not your purpose. Right. <laughs> this is not why you are designed or set up. And yeah. you know because if you go back to the Olympic sports, it was what a few years ago where the Missouri swimmer yeah. came forward and that launched the yeah the USA swimming. It's like these are we use our universities to train athletes and it's like it lead it bleeds into all of well, these the, I other mean, US Olympic Committee oversees amateur sports. That's often mm-hmm. we think about it as being these eight hundred Olympians, right, every four years or every two years. But it's really overseas millions at the grassroots level who are, you know, taking these sports. So these when we're talking about these colleges and we're talking about the USOC, these are the organizations overseeing amateur athletes mm-hmm. in the United States. Right. And this is right. and, and that's that's what ties us all together is even at the amateur level, people just desire um, power and influence so much that they're willing to put athletes, these young athletes, lives literally in danger. And when you look at it at the grassroots level, then you're talking about something like college basketball. Yeah. It has to now, this year, has decided to reform the entire system where almost 90% of, you know, applicable young players in college basketball can't even really do the exact same design chase for scholarships because the individual and independent contractors in AAU are making too much money. Yeah. Right? They want to put a monopoly. The NCAA wants to put a monopoly on how we view college basketball, which means all the kids that you love during March Madness, if you're going to bleed into the whole money sense, they don't actually exist anymore, right? Like, Spike Albright, who was a white man's hope from Michigan a few years ago, yeah. does not get to be Spike Albright, a one-star athlete in a random gym that somebody found if you make a monopoly on the sport where 90% of the kids who are mostly black do not actually get to chase this fictitious, weird dream of being an unpaid athlete for the power of somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is an issue that Bill and I disagree on. <clears throat> paying, paying student-athletes. You have, to. You, oh, have to. you have to. Look, them, right? you have to pay them, right? The you thing have is, to pay is them. if you go back to the basketball case, even if you don't, I mean, even if you're not uh, on the labor side of this, if you don't care about all that, which you should be, yeah. because yes. these kids are making, yeah, yeah. generating billions of dollars and whatever. But this FBI case into, into <laughs> college basketball is nonsense. If you want to, like, because if you want to clean up college basketball, the easiest way to do that is bring the money to the forefront and pay the labor. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because as long as they're worth this much money, somebody's going to pay them. Yep. Yeah. And there have been attempts, right? Like LeVar Ball tried to make a league. Right. Uh, there's the historical you basketball the, league. That the HBL come coming yeah. up. Yeah, the HBL coming up. Like, I mean, there are attempts. And the, Whether you agree with those attempts or not is a different story, well, but the, the thing that attempts. The infuriating thing about the the DOJ FBI case in college basketball is they have the power to do this. They have antitrust law. Yeah. They have used it. They wielded it against the NCAA when, when the DOJ came out and was like, you know what, we're going to start looking into these single-year scholarships and whether that violates antitrust law, and the NCAA immediately changed the rules to <laughs> allow to and allow schools to offer four-year deals. And on the back end, because it's, what he's saying is super important, on the back end, the NCAA wrote in bylaws this summer to basically say, hey, yo, if you work for an athletics department anywhere as an NCAA member school, you're subject to subpoena. Yeah. Right. Jesus. And, and the NCAA has subpoena power now. The, the oh, DOJ, God. the DOJ, well, oh. and but that's the natural growth of this case because right. this case is best understood as the DOJ, the Justice Department, and the FBI agreeing to enforce 
NCA bylaws it, for the NCA. It's, right. They're making the schools out as the victims. Right. It is right. The mo- on the assumption that the schools were defrauded. Like, you have right. to feel bad for Louisville. <laughs> like, right. Like, and the best yes. part about that is I don't think nobody feel bad for Louisville. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so. and, and just don't to, look this way. Just to <laughs> really circle it up. As the FBI has been spending God knows how much money going after this investigation, yeah. what did they not investigate? Larry Nassar. Right. They yeah. completely dropped the ball for a year and right. a half. Didn't do anything, and we still don't know where that investigation. And this is kind of how the politics surrounding it works, right? It, 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 the point is protection for somebody who's usually not the person who's actually the aggrieved party. Yeah. Um, if you look and you tie our bow around this back to the Kaepernick issues, and people will believe that it's gone very dry and stagnant this year. Look at the midterm elections. Uh, in almost every single election, and, and major elections across the United States, there have been Republicans who have leaned into what we have believed was fodder from the president, which was attacking black athletes since Correct. Alabama in September. What no one actually saw was that Marsha Blackburn started making ads in Tennessee, that Corey Stewart, or whatever his name was, who was running for gubernatorial in Virginia, ran on the on that same platform. There were a Michael, bunch on Facebook. A, yep. a bunch on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Michael Capuano, who was running in the Democratic side of, the, I think, the MA-14 against Ayanna Presley, also leaned in. Beto versus Ted Cruz in Texas. Yep. This happened in so many different races, and it goes to the general point that the politics behind the decisions are what are protecting the people, but also attacking the same people who have been unprivileged for the entirety of American history. We don't talk a lot of sports on the bill pressure but now you see that this is why we talk about sports with these three uh we get way beyond just the headlines of the box scores it's it, it's so much more the box going scores on. are still fun peter, yeah, the yeah. Box scores are peter, still when fun. you read a box score peter <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh tyler tynes lindsey gibbs Travis Waldron, thank you, all three of you. This is now an annual tradition, I think. We've done it there two years in a row. Maybe we'll do it again next year. Thank you all so much for coming in. Thank you. Everybody, we appreciate you tuning in. We've got more good Bill Press content coming up this week. So uh, stick around, won't you?